We have a secret. We have a secret that we've kept from our listeners, Gray. We do. It's not a big scandal. It should be. Should we make it out to be a scandal? No, that's no, that's no, that's asking for trouble, Mike. Okay, no scandals. That's asking for trouble. No, but we do have a secret. The last two episodes of Cortex were recorded back to back. They were. We are optimizing. We were trying to optimize, right? <laughs> trying to improve our workflows. We're all about workflow improvement on this show. Mm-hmm. So we recorded two episodes back to back. Now, why did we do this, CGB Gray? I feel like you are trying to blame this all on me, Mike. I no, I was merely, <laughs> merely looking for your insight. Uh, into why we would undertake an experiment of this of this nature. Let's just say this is part of Gray Industries' attempts at doing some experiments in time reorganization over 2017. Perhaps one could say redirecting how time is spent yep. in ways big and in ways small. So this, this was a thing that uh, we decided to try. And what I was very curious to see is if anybody would notice if there was any suspicion not one person any comments in the reddit nothing and i have to say yeah i was i was pleased because to me listening to that show the second show that we recorded immediately after recording the first one i just kept thinking oh it's so obvious it's so obvious that this is recorded immediately after we make no reference to anything that's happened in time there were a few sections in there that i thought were a little weird we didn't follow up at all on the previous show. And the previous show, I think, was a show that kind of begged for some follow-up. <laughs> uh, like, more than maybe any other show that we have ever done. Uh-huh. Right? We really, really begged for some kind of acknowledgement of, like, kind words from people. But, like, no, there was nothing because we immediately recorded it after the very first one. And I have to say, I was pretty pleased that nobody, nobody caught us in the act of a double recording. Now, I'll say this. All the people that are going to pop up in the Reddit thread and be like, oh, I knew it. I don't believe any of you. Not one of you. Yeah, no. Of don't believe not. you. Don't believe yeah. you. Because why didn't you say it? Don't believe you. Okay. I, I don't believe it either. It's one of the, it's like a cognitive bias that is occurring that you're now going to remember that you thought it was obviously recorded at the same time, but you didn't say anything. It's like if you change bit rates on podcasts and people are like, oh, I could totally tell, mm-hmm. but they don't say anything until after you, you've done it. Yeah, I've been in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, you up the bit rate, no one complains, no one notices. But if you tell them in advance, you'll hear howls of protest over their download limits Mm -hmm. on their cellular plans or whatever. How dare you? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. How dare you? Uh, But yeah, so I think it was an interesting experiment. The fact that nobody noticed, I think, makes it essentially a success. Yeah, and I felt that it came out well as well. Like I think we were both concerned that the episode wouldn't be very good because obviously it's like a mammoth recording session mm-hmm. but i was i was pleased with the, with the output it did come out much better than i expected and i also think we were doing it under the worst of all possible circumstances that we were recording a relatively serious first episode and then transitioning into a much more normal second episode mm-hmm. And I did really feel in that second recording like I was not quite on the ball. And, and looking looking back on it when I was doing one of the pass-through edits on it, I could hear myself not explaining things as well as I might imagine that a fresh me would have explained those things. Uh, but I could be wrong about that because I'm always amazed by when I listen back to myself on a podcast how poorly I think previous me explained 
the ideas in his head. This is a regular occurrence for you. <laughs> you always feel like you never do a good enough job. But it just pushes you to be better and better every time, you know? Do you not have that, Mike, when you listen back to the show? You don't have this experience of feeling like, who is this idiot trying to explain things? It doesn't bother me. Okay, but do you feel it at all? Are you aware that you do a poor job of explaining your idea? I don't have mm. as many ideas to explain, you know? <laughs> so I don't really worry about it too much. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Because I'm very aware of the the constraints that we're in. I prepare as much as I prepare, but I know that every now and then we're just going to talk extemporaneously for a while. And I try not to be too hard on myself. Mm-hmm. You're a perfectionist. That's your problem. I I disagree with that. I'm not a perfectionist. I would just prefer that i explain things much better than i actually do i'm not a perfectionist i just wish it was perfect that's all i care about well i mean if we're getting into wishing territory yes of course if if i have a if i have a bucket full of wishes over here that i can use then yes let's make things perfect but actual perfection requires infinite effort which i am not willing to expend but anyway putting putting all of that aside (laughs) i think even under non-ideal circumstances I think it came out pretty well. And so I would regard this experiment as a win. So we're not talking about this purely so we can have like a gotcha moment over the audience. There is a there's a solid reason for this, which is that it takes us a long time to record these episodes. Like we have currently been on the phone for 90 minutes. Have we? Yeah, because it takes us a long time to get ourselves ready to actually record. This is true. By the time we have completed our boot-up sequence and Mm pre-flight checklists. So, if we record two episodes back-to-back, in theory, it is less time spent overall in recording the episodes. So, that's kind of like the idea of it. Why are we doing this? We're not going to record every episode like this. But it's the reason that we're doing this is it gives us more flexibility to put episodes out more consistently um, especially as you are looking at the way that you spend your time more analytically and more closely this year. So it is a way for us to see if like, if we're under a time constraint, can we still get episodes out with frequency? And a way we can do that is by banking them more often. Yeah, that's that's what we're looking at is there are some points in the year where it's going to be more difficult to record on a bi-weekly schedule. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to see if this was even possible to do or if it turned out just to be too exhausting to try to do two episodes back to back. And it's interesting to think about this in in terms of any other kind of work. Like I, I am really aware that any day that I'm recording a podcast is a is a very different day in my mind. There's there's a meeting essentially that's taking place later in the day. And so I'm always aware in the morning, like there's there's this sort of constraint that whatever I'm doing, it needs to wrap up by a certain time because there's this meeting that's taking place that, that there needs to be a recording for. And so that always kind of limits the potential activities that can be done on that day. And then there are always things like, like you said, we have this whole process of getting ready to record the podcast sort of chatting about stuff ahead of time, go, running through the show notes, doing all of this other kinds of things. And so doing two at once is a bit like any other batch processing of work that occurs. And I, that I feel like like batch processing is maybe one of the very first things about being productive that I really learned a long time ago in like the pre-getting things done world, which is like do similar tasks together at the same time 
don't don't switch between lots of different tasks do similar things together and so this idea of recording two shows at once feels like that and you get all of these little savings of on a single day where you have a meeting you get two shows instead of one or or like even just today for some reason like my audio equipment wasn't working quite right and I have to futz with it for a little bit it's like great one futzing with audio equipment gets you two shows out the other end so I think there's a big win in being able to do something like this uh, again because it was very exhausting it's not a thing that I, I plan to do every single time with no. you but it is great to know that we have it when we need it as an option yeah that it's that it is there in lieu of a time when there wouldn't be a show that this is a thing that we can possibly do when i was working in marketing it was like an eye-opening moment for me like when when part of my job was dealing with getting things printed so like getting things printed to send to people mm-hmm. and the surprise for me was in the fact that the amount of things that you need printed didn't change the cost equally, right? Mm-hmm. You could have 100,000 things printed and maybe that costs 10,000 pounds. But if you wanted 200,000, it might be 12,000 pounds. Right, right. And it was always very confusing to me. It's like, well, there's more of them. And it's because I quickly found out that so much of the cost is in turning the machines on. <laughs> right, right. And once the machines are on and the plates are printed for the like, so the things can be stamped out or things can be inked, that's where a lot of the cost is going. So it is in the startup costs and then everything else from there is cheaper. So it's like a similar way for us. It's like by the time we get everything out of the way, that is a big chunk of the time. And then the rest is just what ends up getting put out. Mm-hmm. But we only need to do that once if we record two episodes. So that you know, so that, that was part of like a realization for me, which I've kind of carried over into this work. And something that's important to me is that there is there is an opportunity for the for the show quality to decrease if we do this, right? So there's a lot of work that, that we're doing on the other end to make it work. You know, and like there's one thing that I've been thinking about is more like themed episodes and these little mm-hmm. standalone units that we can release that will still be very interesting, but can live on their own a little bit more than some of our other episodes. Like we have done a couple of episodes out of time now, right? Like episode right. it was like an out of time and out of time too. Out of timer. Out of timer. They were <laughs> they were consciously made like that. And I'm kind of running some ideas through my head that if we want to do this a couple of times this year how can those episodes be a little bit more interesting and special than just a regular episode? So there is definitely thought into it. And really, this is about us ensuring that we can make shows more often, or at least not more often, but more often than we'd be able to do if we didn't do this, (laughs) right? Yes. Really, there'll probably be less episodes this (laughs) year, but if we didn't do it this way, (laughs) there'd be even less. So... Listeners, listeners, to pull back the curtain for just a little bit here, right? This is this is also part of a, a negotiation about how many episodes are there going to be mm-hmm. over the course of the year. Where I'm and like, <laughs> I don't want no episodes. And Gray's like, please, please, can we do some? And I'm like, no. And so that, that's kind of how it's been going, you know? Yeah, it, it is true. As you would imagine, it's that's the way it's going. Yeah, I was, I was attempting to make the show bi-weekly in the sense of twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mike was simply unwilling to commit to that. I'm like, can we do two a year? Yeah. <laughs> right yeah that's so we've had to come to some kind of agreement yeah. between the two of us it's over, been really tough that. it's been really tough <laughs> it's been really but tough. we got there you know yeah <laughs> we had a bunch of ceo to ceo conversations and we got there like grown-ups mm-hmm. <laughs> today's episode of cortex is brought to you by casper hey there if you're from the uk you want to listen to this because now casper is available in the united 
Kingdom. Casper is the company focused on sleep that has created the one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house. It has a sleek design and is delivered in an impossibly small box. And as well as their mattress, Casper now offers an adaptive pillow and soft breathable sheets as well. So you can have Casper surround you in your bed if you so wish. Casper's in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It's obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price, and with an average of 4.8 stars from over 20,000 online reviews, you can see it is a fan favorite. Casper's mattress is made of supportive memory foam, and it has just the right sink and just the right bounce, plus its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature throughout the night. Casper makes quality mattresses at great prices, and they are designed and developed in America. They have cut the hassle and costs of dealing with showrooms and they are passing those savings directly to you, the consumer, and that's why they can offer great prices because they don't have to deal with all the infrastructure that's used to dealing with this type of product. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns to the US, Canada, and now the UK too, with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Buying something like a mattress online seems like a peculiar thing based on how we've been used to buying mattresses, but you shouldn't have to worry about this. Casper understands the importance of sleeping on a mattress before you commit. So, considering you're going to be spending such a long time of your life on it, they want you to have it at home, have it in your bed, have it with your duvet and your sheets and your pillows, and they want you to feel comfortable in it. Spend some time on it. Make sure that your partner's happy with it as well. They want to know that this is a perfect product for you, so they give you 100 nights so you can try it for yourself. You can get $50 or £50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash cortex and using the code cortex. Terms and conditions apply. Please see the site for details. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show. Many people have asked me to share more about Todoist. We made reference to it last time um, mm-hmm. about me moving to Todoist as part of our burning down the tasks. Mm-hmm. Before I get to that, I will ask you for for an update on your task management situation. Is there a task management? <laughs> I don't know if there is one yet. Yeah, no, I am. I am a leaf on the wind. Oh, <laughs> you're just taking life as it comes right now, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've, oh, nice. It's actually no no it's not nice uh, <laughs> is there still no system i i don't have a system Ooh, that was a long time ago now <laughs> we spoke about this yeah I, i'm i am still i'm still doing this thing where i'm i'm a bit playing around with and and, and just being very informal and it's an interesting thing because talking to people in my life Again, everybody else is coming to them from the perspective of, oh, this is how this is how normal people live. That you just sort of know the things that you need to do. Maybe you write a few of them down, but you don't have a real system for keeping track of absolutely everything that is watertight under all circumstances. And I I simply don't understand how people can possibly live like that. Because I'm trying to figure out how to work going in the future, which is just turning into a much bigger project than I initially expected. But not having a, a current system in place that is what I want it to be, I, I, I find it somewhat somewhat anxiety-inducing. Mm. I am very aware of my brain burning calories thinking about stuff 
that I know it, like this is the whole thing that my previous system got rid of is the like I don't have to worry about anything because I I just know where everything is going to be and that is that is no longer the case so I'm aware that my brain wants to be more anxious than it normally than it normally would be but I'm viewing this as an investment that is worth making in trying to refigure out what it is that I want to do. But so no, I I don't have a uh, like ooh, I've I've come down from the mountain with some answers. And and I may I may never well do that. I may just end up creating some squirrely thing that is is just for me the way I want it to work. Uh but I can say it's been kind of interesting living like a normie, I guess, for the past few months. Uh yeah, it's been interesting. It's been an interesting thing. Not completely normal though. I mean you didn't fire your assistant or anything, you know? Like you're not a normie, Gray. <laughs> Someone's picking up the the breadcrumbs that you're dropping. Uh yes, that is that is definitely true that someone is picking up the breadcrumbs that I am dropping. And uh r- related to that, the one the one change that I have made, which uh I can report on, which it relates to this very section, is that I have moved from Wonderlist with my assistant to Todoist with my assistant. So I do have some Todoist experience in this conversation, but we have have switched our collaboration tool. And uh, I'll I'll just say for vastly better. Uh, It's a big big improvement. And so that is is one thing that has has definitely happened uh, that is interesting. So what are your experiences with Todoist, Mike? So I want to talk about a few a few aspects of it. So some of them are the things that make Todoist superior, and some of them that are more tricky for me as a as a previous OmniFocus user. Mm. So the key reason that I decided I wanted to make this move, which I have spoken about, spoke about it on the last episode, is the integrations. But now I have more time to play with them. What makes Todoist interesting to me is that Todoist has a fundamental understanding of the web. There is an API. There is a web version of, of Todoist. And it is the fact that it has this understanding of kind of modern automation conventions and stuff like that that is appealing to me. OmniFocus is very shut off from the rest of the world. Um, mm-hmm. We've spent a lot of time talking about this in the past, like how excited we were when we could finally have templates and that there could be code for OmniFocus so we could do mm-hmm. things with it from other applications. But it's still... On device, everything is happening on device, and you have to ask OmniFocus to do something or plug something into it. With Todoist, things can happen in the background. You can have tasks added by services where you've never even opened Todoist. Mm-hmm. Right? I have a workflow, which I'll put in the show notes, which I can run from anywhere on iOS. I can add links to it. I can add, I can add times. I can add notes. And Todoist is never opened. Everything is just done in the workflow app from wherever I want to do it on the system. And the task is added in the background because it's added right. via Todoist's API. Mm-hmm. But there are other things that I have hooked up. So some web automation tools like Zapier and IFTTT, they're able to add things. So I'm still digging around with Zapier and I want to spend more time talking about this service specifically in the future because it is like... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> this service is in just incredible. Like I've built some some zaps as they call them, which are doing things that I've wanted for so long. Like mm-hmm. we use FreshBooks for our invoicing, 
at Relay FM, and I now have the ability in our in a Slack channel to see every time one of those people that we invoice, one of the sponsors that we work with, every time they they log in and do something in FreshBooks, FreshBooks knows this, mm-hmm. and now using Zapier, that information is piped into our Slack. So we're able to see every time somebody logs in and looks at an invoice without ever being in FreshBooks. And Zapier is allowing that for us. Yeah, it really allows you to connect a whole bunch of stuff. Like if if you ever used if this, then that, and then you look at Zapier, like I, I've, I've been trying to slowly transition all the stuff that I have in if this, then that to over to Zapier because it's so mm-hmm. much more powerful. Me too. And when you're using Zapier, it makes... You know, Zapier is is like a like a constructor set where you can build all kinds of things, and it makes if this then that look like it's Duplo. Yeah, I was like, what are those <laughs> those Lego blocks that are for real babies, like yeah. the gigantic Lego blocks? <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, yeah. that's what it feels like. You've got like the Lego stuff, Mindstorms, right? Like the stuff that you can actually build robots with. Yes, <laughs> uh, over on Zapier, and then you've got your little little Fisher Price IFTTT over there in the corner. IFTTT is great for for getting your feet wet with this stuff but like the great thing about zapier is like you can have one action trigger things in multiple other web services right like there are multiple stages you can build it's really very powerful yeah and and what i also like is that you can you can do the thing which i've wanted if this and that to do for forever which is have a some very basic logic operators like if this occurs and also these filtering conditions match then do the thing uh, like, like that's you know just even just the tiniest amount of that makes it makes it so much more powerful uh so I, i've got to recommend that people try out zapier and just, just as a little as a little sidebar here i feel like in my past couple months of exploring with stuff re- really ever since i started with using toggle and their api for doing the time tracking I feel like I've I've had my eyes open to this whole world that I have been intentionally avoiding. Yep, me too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, which is like this this whole world of web APIs. And I had a real moment of of realizing I need to learn a new skill here. I mentioned on two shows ago or whatever it was last show. An amount of shows in the past. <laughs> an amount of shows ago because of, because of the recording that I was that I was playing around uh, with Trello as as a way to just visually move around work. And I, and I'm really liking Trello like it's it's an interesting way to just look at some stuff. And Trello is like Zapier, like like Slack, like Toggle, like all these things. It has a web API element. Yep. And so I was I was playing around with it and I was, as inevitably would happen anytime I'm working with a tool. Eventually I realize, oh, there are some things that I would want to enter the same way all the time if I was using this. So it's like, here we go. Like you're starting to build up some kind of template, right? And I was playing around then with workflow and looking and seeing, oh, how can I get the workflow app to automatically add a bunch of cards to Trello if I want to trigger a thing, right? And I was disappointed because in the workflow app, there's only a few options for what kinds of information you can add to a Trello card and where it can go. It's relatively limited. And it was this moment, it dawned on me, I thought, wait a minute, but what is the workflow app doing? It must be talking to some kind of toggle API that exists out there on the web. And so I Googled around and I eventually found it and I realized, oh, okay. Trello has an API where you can affect everything about the cards. Like literally everything is available there. 
And then I suddenly realized, ah, okay, all of these apps are doing the same thing. They're using web URLs and the public APIs to talk to each other. And this is a thing that I need to seriously sit down and learn as a skill, because if I learn this skill, then I'm not dependent on the workflow app guys making a little pre-made template that's easy for me to use. It's like, no, no, I can just program the thing directly to talk to the web APIs. And I feel like that was the moment I realized, like, this is what a lot of modern automation, particularly on a device like an iPad, is going to look like. And I think that that was just a real realization that I feel like I've had in the past couple months. Like, okay, this web API world, like this is way more powerful than I ever gave it credit for. And I always used to be prioritizing apps that could work on an airplane that would work in offline mode where I wouldn't have to connect to any kind of web service. But I, I think something has shifted in my mind to finally really understanding the value of these things. Yep. Like, if I am using a tool that has an impact on my work, my feeling now is it has to have an API. Because I am fed up of giving this data to a system which keeps it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there is no reason for that to happen anymore. I should be able to tie these things together. And I am not close to what you're doing in the level at which I'm doing this, mm -hmm. but I'm getting interested. And so that's I know I've started doing things where like I've had a problem that I wanted to solve, and I am now like in the mindset of like, why don't I try and build a thing? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I've been doing that with some with some workflows. Like there, I've I've been able to build some workflows now, which I would have previously just continued doing things the same way. And these services are becoming more and more important for me as I continue to do my work and continue to optimize. And with something we're going to talk about later on in the show, with hiring an assistant, mm -hmm. is only going to become more important because I will have things now that will be entered by somebody else into a system. Mm -hmm. right and there could be a case where i'm like why doesn't this stuff just come to me instead of me going to get it and web automation and web integrations will be the, and apis will be what allows all of that stuff to be pulled together in an interesting way it's like this is where i want to go now like i have all of this data that i give to systems i want these systems to be able to talk to each other if i want them to and i, I do want to say what you're doing here i think is it's such a valuable skill to understand like just it's not programming like you're not a programmer mm -mm, here no way but this this kind of thing where you you learn and you realize how to make the machine do something on its own or how to make the different machines talk to each other this this kind of very very basic you know programming ultra light kind of thing that an app like workflow allows or something like Zapier allows you to do by visually rearranging objects. I think this is such an incredibly valuable skill. Like if if you have never messed around with one of these kind of systems, I think it's hugely valuable to just just try and just play around with it a little bit just to get it into your mind that there may be something you're doing that with a little bit of effort you can make automatic or vastly, vastly simpler. And once you get that hook in your brain, 
you can you can really improve a lot of the way you, you do things on computing devices of all kinds. But I, I just happen to think like the workflow app in particular is a great example of visually rearranging stuff. And there seems to be a bunch more tools like like Zapier that are doing this kind of thing of allowing yeah. you to visually rearrange stuff even if you don't want to do the thing that I'm trying to do, which is like dig into like, how is this JSON object structured? Like you don't need to go that far. Nope. Just just knowing the basics already makes a huge difference. It is these visual services that's helping me understand it, right? Like I've tweaked things in some of my workflows, which are like real API stuff. Like I've messed around in the code, but it's because the wrapper around it is helping me understand the context of the thing. Yeah. So like I'm able to kind of work it out in my brain with little knowledge because I'd be like, oh, it's this step, which has got mm-hmm. this code in it. And this step isn't working the way I want it to. So let me look at this. And if this stuff's written well enough, someone like me can, can have an idea of understanding it and also playing with it. And mm-hmm. whilst we're in this tangent, I've been thinking about this a lot recently where like you spend hours building this stuff, right? Does it pay off in the long run, right? This is a question that I think a lot of people have. It's like, you've just spent four hours building this workflow with trial mm-hmm. and error, and all it's doing is saving you 30 seconds every single time. How long is it going to take to, to, for that to pay off? Mm. And the realization that I've come to is it's not about the time. It's about the frustration. Yes, yes. It is about me pressing one button to do a thing rather than opening two apps and then doing two things and typing this thing in here and pressing send here. It's about pressing a button and just having it done. And it is the the, the combination of the fun of building the thing and f- having the sense of accomplishment of doing it and then every subsequent time benefiting from that work that you paid in and just making it feel like your work is happening more smoothly. It doesn't matter to me if I'm saving time. That's not a thing. It's about the comfort of my work. Yeah, th- there's also another aspect to this, which I think is underappreciated. But when you when you automate something, you end up making it much easier to do that thing. And, and so like, for example, with the time tracking, the, like the whole reason that I'm able to do this seasonal experiment that I'm doing of trying to track absolutely everything is entirely because automation allows the tracking to be as simple as possible. Yep. If I wasn't able to use workflow from the notification center or from my watch to trigger the toggle stuff. If I was having to open the toggle app or go to the toggle website every time, I wouldn't be doing this. Wouldn't be doing. Yeah, exactly. This. It wouldn't work. Exactly. This this would never happen. Like, I'm still using this for every task I do. I'm still finding it very useful. Like this feels like just part of my work now. But if I had the friction of needing to open a specific thing every time, as opposed to just like pulling down and pressing two buttons, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, it's that's one of the things that automation gets you is it's it's a bit like uh i forget the name of it but you know like in, in economics when the price of a resource dramatically drops you end up using so much more of it mm-hmm. and it allows you to do more things you know it's, it's not like oh the price of copper has dropped like are you it's like yes we're going to use more copper that's the whole point right like we can now do more things than we could do before uh again it's, it's funny you mentioned on the watch like uh i'm so aware there's a couple of instances where being able to use the workflow app from the watch in a couple of situations means I'm able to very easily track some time that I wouldn't otherwise. Like, like in particular, when I'm reading at night, like I'm reading the book and my phone is charging in the other room. It's not in the same room that I sleep. 
and I can just very quickly like press a button and then as I'm going to bed just say like I'm done reading stop the clock like the day's over and the little workflow app just automatically does that thing whereas otherwise I wouldn't be tracking my reading time at night if it meant that I had to get up and go use another device that I don't want around me while I'm reading at night like it's just it's it's really great to be able to do mm-hmm. that kind of stuff like I, I always I always kind of feel like when people dismiss automation it's it's been like I don't think you understand what's actually happening. I, I think there's an idea in your head of people spending hours and hours automating some system for no benefit, but you're you're only looking at the benefit in a very very narrow way. Plus, there's also just the skill of learning how to do this kind of thing and then being able to apply it to other stuff. Like, I'm honestly considering this as like a hobby. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. One of my hobbies now is tinkering with automation because I find it fun. <laughs> <laughs> I just get I love the the feeling of like yes I did it like I did it you know and, and that's that's that feels good so going back to Todoist right so mm-hmm. this this is like the biggest reason that I made this move and there are a couple of things that I'm taking advantage of right now which I really like one of them is having Zapier or IFTTT they can both do this watch a Google Calendar and add tasks based on events that trigger so a practical application of this for me is every time it sees a podcast recording on my calendar, it adds a task to edit that show. Hmm. Very simple, right? But it can do all of that stuff for me. And I think to myself in the future of like the ways that I could do this of like having this stuff then going to toggle and like how can all of that work together and these all these things can just trigger on their own, right? So because I, I still press some buttons every time I sit down to record. I don't need to do that. It, toggle could just start at the same time Right, because the, the calendar events, I'm going to be here at two o'clock right, on Wednesday right. or whatever. So Toggle Waves may, just, may as well just start on its own. It's like there are little things like that. I know how I want to build from them. Another one is uh, an integration which Todoist build for Slack. So I can be in Slack and I can type forward slash Todoist and I can just type in a task. I can type in a due date, labels and projects, and it just gets added. Nobody sees it. I just type it. I press enter. It says, yep, the task's in there. So this is like somebody's asking me in Slack to do something, and I never even leave Slack. Oh, so you can you don't have to talk to the Slack bot to do this? You can just, like, if you're in a general chat room, you can just do this? Yep. Oh, that's very interesting. Yep. It's an integration that Todoist built. So I can be talking to Stephen, and he's like, oh, could you take a look at that invoice for me later on? And I can just type in, take a look at the invoice at 2 o'clock, and press enter, and then it's just added. Beautiful. That's very nice. It's beautiful. That's pretty nice. So these, this is the, the main, the biggest reason that I made this shift because as much as I have loved using OmniFocus, I think it's very clear they're never going to add this. But even if they're going to add it, it's going to take longer for them to add this than I'm willing to wait. Mm-hmm. Like I'm at the point now where I'm starting to value this stuff a little bit more than losing some of the features. And there are features that I'm losing. There are things that I, that annoy me about Todoist. There are things that I wish that it did better. And there are things that I wish it did more like OmniFocus, which is kind of not fair, but I have those wishes anyway. Yeah, that's totally not fair. <laughs> right? Because that's, you know, that so like the things that annoy me about it, things that I think aren't being done right is one thing. And then there are just things that I think they've wished they did more like OmniFocus, which is like, you know, that's not fair to wish on a company. <laughs> so one thing that I miss is OmniFocus's forecast view because this became so important for me. So that it was just this view in OmniFocus, which gave me a calendar. And on the calendar days, it showed me how many tasks were in each day. And that just gave me at a, mo- a, a glance how busy my week was. Mm-hmm. Todoist doesn't really have this at all. Like they have a next seven days, which I'm using, 
But all it does is just shows a list of all of the tasks for the next seven days. You get no counters. Because you used to base it on counter, right? Like I'd see like seven tasks on Monday, nine tasks on Tuesday, two tasks on Wednesday. Great, I can move stuff to Wednesday because Wednesday's not busy. But now I kind of just have to look at this list and that's it doesn't really work for me so well. Something that Todoist has, which I do kind of think is interesting and is working for me more, is when you go to reschedule something, it uses machine learning to tell you when <laughs> your busiest, like your least busy days will be so you can move stuff to, so it makes recommendations. And that's really cool, right? It's another thing about the data is like it's, it knows that like either by trends or just by like what my average task usage is a day, like how many tasks I'm checking off, it can recommend days in the future where I'm not so busy to move stuff. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's an interesting an interesting example of, of again having the data done differently like the machine mm-hmm. can recommend things to you yeah uh in in an open way and i have to say like I, I was curious when i saw that with todoist now the way that i am using it which is primarily as a communication tool between my assistant and i like that's that's not really a practical thing but i think it shows the an interesting direction yeah. for how can this stuff go like, and I know that that's going to get better for me over time. The more data I'm plugging into this, the better that suggestion's going to get, mm-hmm. right? And so that's like a, a long game that I'm playing with it. But I do miss just not just because my system had kind of been built around this idea of looking at the numbers. Mm-hmm. But now, now that I don't have that, like I'm starting to to think to myself, like, was this actually really a good system? Mm-hmm. I don't think it was that thought that you're having right there. This is the this is exactly the kind of thing that I'm trying to think mm-hmm. through with everything that I've done. Is like there there are many tools that I may have relied upon, but if you step away from them for a while, you can view it with more clarity and say like, was this or was this not actually a beneficial thing? And I I could see like you always. It's interesting because when we would discuss using OmniFocus, uh, you always brought up the forecast tool as, as such a primary thing for you. Uh, whereas <laughs> I, I had a different feature, which is my primary thing. But I never looked at that forecast. Like that that was one of the things mm-hmm. that to me just I filed under totally useless. It's see, seeing that I have more or fewer tasks represented as a single number on a day. Like I just never found that to be a useful tool to actually guide any decision-making process at all. It's, I mean, simply because like tasks are of vastly varying sizes. Yeah. And so seven versus three versus 20 doesn't actually convey the information that you think it conveys. So like, yeah, I'm just realizing that those numbers, they're not that helpful. Um, I do wish I had the forecast view just because it was a nice way to see where there were maybe gaps, right? Mm-hmm. So like days that mm-hmm. they were less busy. But the idea that I lived to, which was like plus seven tasks means super busy day. I don't think that that is as useful as I thought it was. Right. Because right. we'll come back to the to this in a moment, but Todoist has quite some, some interesting reporting features. And like looking at my last seven days, every single day I was doing, I've done over seven tasks so far this week. But previously, that meant super busy day to me. So right. I, I also think that what I'm doing with Todoist is I'm entering more tasks into the system. Mm-hmm. With OmniFocus, I was restricting the amount of tasks that I'd enter into the system because of going over that number. So now right, I'm right, adding yeah. more stuff into the system, which I think is making me more productive, as you would assume, because there are more things that are going in. The more that goes in, the more that will get done or less things that will get missed. But mm-hmm. now I'm not in so much fear of like, oh, can't send it over seven. Uh, <laughs> right, so I think right. that that's been a, that is actually, while I miss the feature, 
it has helped, I think, break a bad habit. What you're talking about here of like, oh, this arbitrary number of seven. This is, I mentioned last time that I'm looking into Scrum a little bit and I've been playing around with some ideas about how this system works for organizing stuff. And there's a couple of things that I think are really valuable in, in this. And, and one of them is is really this this focus on trying to get an estimate for how big your tasks actually are and then trying to, through measuring your previous activities, get a sense of how how much can I do in a day, not based on my feelings, but based on previous data? And I think like that, that's a really interesting idea. And you can just see how there are very many ways like this plus seven that, that you were running into where you you can be getting a very false sense of how much is on my plate for the day and how much can I possibly do? So it's good. I mean, I mean, I don't know how to recommend to people because obviously everybody's system's different, but there is some real value in changing things, even if you plan to go back, but just as mm-hmm. a way to help you reassess and see if you've got any maybe unhealthy habits in your system. Mm-hmm. I do. There was a there was a problem in the system that I didn't know was there. This episode of Cortex is brought to you in part by Hover. When you have a great idea for your new startup or business or blog or whatever, you need to give it a great domain name. And finding that perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. When all you want to do is buy a domain name or email address, you shouldn't have to opt out of page after page of add-ons that you don't want and you don't need. That's why Hover offers only domains and email, so you can focus on getting a great domain name and getting back to working on your idea. They believe you shouldn't have to pay for things that should already be included with your domain, like who is privacy, which keeps all of your private details safe on the internet. Many other registrars require that you pay for such a service, but not Hover. They think that's just part of what buying a domain name is. Hover is where I always go to register my domain names, and it's where you should too. They're a fantastic service with a nice, clean, simple, easy-to-use website. So to find that perfect domain name for your idea, go to hover.com slash cortex and get 10% off your first purchase. Once again, that's hover.com slash cortex to find out more and get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Related to this number thing, there is something that's frustrating to me that the the badge that Todoist shows on the application on iOS is just a straight how many tasks you have due for the day. I really want that to be overdue, honestly, because it, it kind of is just a weird thing to me to be like, just shows the number 10. It's like mm. that's the total amount of tasks, not like total amount of tasks that are overdue. I'm getting used to this because now this is kind of just giving me a rundown of how many things I have left for the day. But just so like it's I'm again it's like a change of the system, but I do still think that that's weird not even to have that setting of being able to say like how many tasks are overdue as to uh, how many tasks are just due for the day. I do think that's a weird choice that they've made to make that just a you can't adjust this. This is what it is. Here's okay, so while we have been singing the praises of APIs and open data, my my biggest complaint with using a bunch of these services like Todoist, Slack, and Trello is that they never feel like they're native citizens on the operating system that you're using. No, because they try and build applications that can work across systems. Exactly. Like right. they, they're consistent. 
that shows itself in obvious ways and not obvious ways. Like obvious ways for like, for example, if I'm scrolling in Trello, it's clearly like a web page that's being rendered on the screen and the frame rate drops like hell if I'm scrolling back and forth in a way that a native app never would because it's doing something funny or like it's so hard to pin down what it is, but even just the way in Todoist when you're completing tasks or adding things like it just doesn't feel like iOS because it because it isn't. But it also shows up in, I think, exactly what you're talking about here, where there are a surprising lack of options very often when you're using these kinds of apps. When they're apps that feel they should have tons. Yeah, and, and this is this is a perfect example of it feels like what you want that app badge icon to represent, it feels like you should have a huge array of selections in here. But you don't, and I think that is a side effect of the company, I think smartly, trying to build an app that works universally across a whole bunch of platforms. And so to them, almost any time spent on customization on a particular platform is almost wasted time. I'm aware, like, what I would love is a way to have that badge show the number of tasks that are currently assigned to me in the system. Right? But again, this is because I'm using it in a very different way than you are uh, as a collaboration between two people. And that's one of these cases where it's like, I, d- I don't have a good way for that that for the app to communicate to me through a little icon that, oh, my assistant needs me to get back on something related to tax documentation or whatever it is today. Like, it feels like that should be an option, but it isn't. It's, it's not in there. And I will just add, since uh, you missed the forecast from OmniFocus, my biggest missing feature that I have to say, OmniFocus does so well, and I, I don't see any other to-do app at all handle this, is the concept of start dates. And I feel like start dates are so integrated into my mind <laughs> yeah. that I like I don't understand how any of these apps work with like just I mean here, here's all I'm asking for like this let's let's say I wanted to add a task. Let's do like the simplest task in the world, which is like buy flowers for Mother's Day. Right? Like let's say something like this. You know, and it's due, you know, the day before Mother's Day. I don't want to see that task as open and uncompleted for the whole year running up to Mother's. Like, I want to say, set the start date a week before Mother's Day. Like, don't show me this task until it actually starts coming up, right? Or if there's a thing that I can only do later in the day, but I can't do now, like, set the start time to be later in the day. And OmniFocus, like, nails this with the ability to only show you tasks that you can do right now. And... No other application seems to do this very well. And it is the one thing that is driving me kind of crazy in Todoist is there's always a bunch of stuff that looks like it's open and available, but very often, like, I can't actually make any progress on this until a later point in time. And I wish there was a way to hide it until I actually can do something about it. Yeah, I've seen people complain about that with other systems as well. I feel like this is one of those things that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about now. Like it was maybe like a part as part of a system which people don't consider. I don't know why, but it's like I've never even thought of this. It's like it will just come up when it comes up by due date. Like even when you under- explain it to me, I'm just like, but it's just there. Just you just don't see it. But what do you mean you just don't? But you do see it. Like you you see it in the system when you're looking at like the list of open tasks. Just don't look there. Like. You, you, <laughs> 
I don't know. You know, like I know where you're seeing it. So you go to the project or whatever, but you don't need to be in the project. Just just do what's what's due. But I know this is there's a difference in the system, right? But but I know, I know. This is like yeah, this is like a this is like a philosophical distance, mm-hmm. and, and this is also a case where I know that I am in the minority yeah. because essentially no other to do app makes this. No. Uh, right? like it's like I've never seen anybody do this implementation as well. It's the same as like deferring. Yeah, like I see people say they want defer dates. I'm just like, just move the due date. Like, what's wrong with you? That's this is in my mind. It's like just just move the date. <laughs> I, I do I do think this is also a little bit of a a holdover from a certain kind of getting things done thinking, which I, I still I'm still maintaining that I really like this, which is a due date should be a real hard due date are you like you shouldn't be using due dates for ah, i'd like to do this thing on this day yeah right that's that's the distinction here and so a start date allows you to have a distinction about like due dates are really due dates right they're they're not these other kind of things but but i am totally aware of, of like if i'm wanting to use any other system i totally have to hack my way around this like uh, i did mention before i still use to do to track certain kinds of tasks like little routine tasks and i just hack that whole thing where it's like everything only shows up in my system when it's overdue right so i just like just the due date means nothing right it's just this is when i want the thing to show up not when it's actually due so i think i think that's where this disagreement comes in is like a philosophical conflict over what is the meaning of the due date (laughs) yeah i feel like this is an old school thinking right as you mentioned because i feel like everybody that i know that uses those functions like defer and Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. start and stuff like that there's people that that seem to have been doing this stuff for longer yeah i i i think that is the case uh whereas it seems like most people are much happier with using the due date as a goal almost like oh this is the day that i want to do the thing and it feels like it might be like if you're of the school of david allen or not that's what i i do think this is probably a holdover from that uh but this is this is one habit that i just i cannot let go because i'm like it's like due date should mean something right like like sometimes you get into an (laughs) argument with a person and they're using words like in a really sloppy way and he's like no words need to mean something like if we're having a conversation and words mean nothing like i don't even understand how we can have a conversation and i I feel that way about due dates and system like the date due date needs to mean something Mm -hmm. Uh, otherwise i don't understand how to organize anything okay grandpa (laughs) i know but i know that's where i am you kids with your with your due dates that mean nothing and your words that can mean whatever you want them to mean it's just like okay whatever just gonna yell at you from my porch that's what i'm gonna do one other problem of my switch to do is is 100 percent on me errors with the manual data transfer <laughs> oh okay human error right uh-huh. got it this is completely on me so like i added some things incorrectly so there was like some tasks that I had to complete and they were just like, they were on the wrong repeating cycle or something. Mm-hmm. And so now I live in fear of like, what else is wrong? Right. Something <laughs> in here is wrong and I don't know what it is. And mm-hmm. I'll only know when it's too late, you know, but there's nothing you can do about that. I just freaking wish there was a system so I could move around easily, but no, that's mm-hmm. too late. That ship has sailed. 
But I just wished that there was something, you know? We spoke about this last time. Like, I just wished that there was, like, a system, like, how there's calendars or a system, how there is email, right? That these things are just there and you can move from app to app because they're pulling from a database that everyone can share, you know? Yeah. Like, how RSS is, you know? Like, I just wish there was a thing like that for, for tasks, but there isn't, and there never will be because it's too late now. There never will be, and I, I think the... The three protocols that we have, like RSS, email, and HTML, that are these universal protocols that are used by everybody, I think all three of those are are almost like a historical accident that we even yeah. got them in the first yeah. place. They're like not even long for this world anymore, a lot of this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's they're really valuable because of that, but it's this is one of these cases where I feel like you run the simulation of the world over again, and we could end up in a world where they're aren't these common communication protocols Mm -hmm. and i i do think that when you say they're not long for the world i think on the user end in very many cases they're not long for the world but they're they're a kind of foundation that will probably never go away and they are super useful like html and being able to do the this api stuff like this is all dependent on the very notion of loading and and sending information to a web page yeah great i'm so happy this is here but but the ones we have that's as many as we're going to have. Exactly. That's kind of, I mean, like the idea of it is not long for this world in that there will, no one's going to make another one of these because this isn't how companies get rich anymore. It's proprietary. Exactly. I, yeah, I, I think we're, we're never going to end up with another one of these. Not, like, you know. <laughs> how are you doing with your Evernote database over there, buddy? You doing good? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing just f- great. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a story about how I wanted to rearrange some tags on my iPhone in Evernote. And then like, oh, oh, great. All the hierarchical information that I've put together on my Mac with the tags. Oh, none of that carries over to Evernote. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Evernote. That's a a story for another time. You're going to hate this. But my suggestion to you now is start over somewhere else. And like everything new you add to the system goes in that place and everything old is in the legacy app. And then over time, you can let go of Evernote. We, this- we can't have we can't have this conversation now. Like, Mike, you, Mike, you do not understand. <laughs> you do not understand the kind of legacy cost that I'm dealing with here. Right. This, this is this is just. No, you've explained it to me. I know I, I have an idea. Right. Like I can I can understand. But like. It's not. It's just not going to work for you, man. Like it's going to die. No, no. Do you know what the Do you know what the problem is? The problem is, despite all of my frustrations, it does still work for me, right? Like when I'm when I'm trying to search for something, uh, this just 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 happened the other day. Like I, I'm I'm working on a video and I'm I want to do a quick search for a thing, and it's like, oh great, some notes I saved from like seven years ago turned up as a thing that was relevant to something that I'm doing now. So it's like that's the problem. The problem like the is it's is, actually still useful to keep working. Like there is still like a system that can work, right? Which is like RSS, like email, it's plain text. You know? There are so many apps that build on plain text. Mike. And I know that you have images, right? But you can also save folders of images, and it's it's sloppy. Do you know how many OCR uh, bootleg yeah, screenshots OCR. of books that OCR. I have? Right, okay, like I know, I know. I I have I have thousands of OCR pages from books that I have found interesting. Like it's I cannot like that's the problem. Anyway, this is your fault for bringing up Evernote. <laughs> I don't know how we got down another <laughs> Evercore tangent here, uh, but what I was going to say originally <laughs> is that. While something like 
IMAP for tasks will never exist. With all of these public APIs and with your growing skills in web automation, there is at least in theory the possibility that a future Mike, when moving from Todoist to some other program in, in the future, he'll be able to write something that can at least do a basic transfer, right? That can that can comb through the database and then add tasks on the other end to be double checked. I, I did look into this a little bit. Like there are ways to move from OmniFocus to Todoist, mm-hmm. but it will still it still requires you to go through and tweak some stuff. Because they just don't talk to each other very well, like at all. Even if you take the data out, like the data OmniFocus gives is not really comfortable for Todoist to to accept. So I still, I know for my own purposes, I still would have gone through every task and made sure they were correct. Oh yeah, yeah. Again, this is this is not for now, Mike. I'm simply saying like there's the possibility for future Mike. Mike 4.0. Yeah, two API enabled to do apps could have a much easier transfer between them yeah. than one app that has an API and another app that doesn't. Ah, yes, of course. I see what you mean. It's not OmniFocus was never going to do any good. But like, yeah, a future application, like both understanding the web right. could. Yeah, you're totally right on that one. The very best thing about Todoist also houses, I think, its very worst flaw. So Todoist's natural language entry is incredible. Like, I press Control N, and I just start typing, and then I press Enter, and the task is done. And it has the due date, it has the projects all attached to it. I love it. It's like how Fantastical changed calendars to do is to change task entry, because you just you type to it. You have to learn the language of the application a little bit, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is it that you need to do to add something to a project? What do you need to do to add uh, a label to it? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's brilliant. But where it falls down is the way that you, especially with repeating tasks, like there is a specific language. They have a, a, a website, they have a web page. Even in the application, you can get a link which kind of tells you how do you say every second Tuesday or how do you say every first of the month, right? There are ways in which you say this stuff into the natural language. And that's pretty normal of this stuff, right? Where there is a language that it understands because then it's going to get it right. And I totally understand that. And you have to learn the language to be able to speak to it in that way. It's like the same with like the Amazon Echo, right? You speak to it in the ways that it understands and then you're good. Right, right. But the problem with Todoist is with all of the repeating task stuff, there's no UI. Yeah, I've run into this as well. So you can't change a thing unless you speak to it. And that is crazy making to me. Like I have spent like 20 minutes trying to get a task to repeat in the right way because I keep telling it in the way that I think it should understand, but it's still getting it wrong. And I can't just click and then just just press a button like I could do in OmniFocus to get it to do that. Now, OmniFocus, I could set it that way, but I also couldn't speak to it, right? So there's like a give and take with it. And everyone that I know that uses Todoist is also frustrated about this. But over time, it becomes less of a problem as you learn more and more how to talk to it. But they should also have the UI to be like, repeat every second Tuesday. Yeah, this this kind of stuff is really funny because the the natural language processing 
is always, oh, it's fantastic when it works. But when it doesn't work, suddenly it's like you're in the 1970s talking to the terminal, right? Yeah. Like you, just, you need to learn the magic incantations to say to make yep. it do the thing. And it's infuriating. The problems lie in when there isn't a defined language, when it's trying to infer your meaning right this mm. is why a lot of people i think get frustrated at siri is that oh my god yeah siri i think tries to take more broad input yeah where the echo you have to say things in a specific way so once you learn those things it's more reliable so like i understand why it needs the specific language because then we're talking to each other in a way that we understand it's like i'm talking to you right now i'm not half of my words aren't french Right. Right. I have to speak to you in the language I know you're going to understand. I get that. But not having a UI fallback is just it's just stupid, I think. I can't understand why you wouldn't have that. Yeah, it is frustrating. Again, I've, I've, I'm using it in a very different way, but I, I was aware of that really fast, that the, the lack of UI for certain aspects of the task is frustrating. And it, it also seems like you, you need this here so that I can learn when the language typing works and when it doesn't right so there can be a little feedback loop of like what do you think i said like how are you populating all of these fields based on what i'm typing into this box very very weird (laughs) (laughs) i mentioned statistics todoist has statistics which are kind of cool kind of pointless at the same time um the pointless thing is something they call karma you earn points over time and then you become like a mega expert like i don't really know why they have this system do you know why they have this system gamification i know that's the reason it's it's but it's like gamification is just like machine learning right it's magic that you sprinkle onto every product but the thing about it is is the gamification does work because you know there's a part of me and it's like ooh, like i've just gone up a karma level like i am a master now you know like i I am Mm. currently an expert and next is master then grandmaster and then enlightened, you know, like I'm, I'm going to get to the enlightened phase and then I don't need to work anymore. I think that's what, I think that's what it's telling me. Uh, they give you a big payout when you're done and then you, you've won You've won the game of productivity. I think that's how it works. Yeah, but yeah. what I do like Nailed is it. that the statistics that they give you about like you can kind of tell it how many tasks you want to complete on an average day. Mm-hmm. And then it has like a baseline and you can see when you reach over the baseline, you get streaks going and stuff like that, which I think is kind of interesting. I can see how many tasks I completed in the last seven days mm-hmm. and then on a weekly basis, the last four weeks. And like, I like seeing that because it's given me some trends, uh, but I'm using projects now, Gray, something I've never done before, but I'm using projects. And it's one of the reasons is because it's easier for me to do this. I, I don't, I can just type it in and it takes like a second more for me to type in like, the pound sign, and then Cortex, and then it's mm-hmm. into a Cortex project. And I'm finding this just to be useful mostly for knowing where to find things. So I know I have a task in the future, and instead of me searching for it, I just hit the Cortex one, and I know it's going to be in there. Um, and it's also interesting when I'm like, yeah, I can't, I don't really feel like doing this right now. Hey, what's in my personal stuff? Like, what's in my personal tag? They're easy things to do. You know, so that's, that's it's interesting to me to to kind of put things in these buckets, which is gtd 101 right using projects but i just never done it before so i feel like i've upgraded my system it's interesting to me that anyone could have used omnifocus for as long as as you did without ever really using projects it's it's so based around the notion of 
there are projects that it's it's almost inconceivable how you would even be using it without without projects as a fundamental part of the part of things mm-hmm. so it's it's funny to me that todoist the application that seems like eh, projects whatever maybe you have them maybe you don't uh this, this is the one that has has you now using projects more yeah it is weird but it's, it's purely because of the entry like mm-hmm. i can get it in easier i don't have to t- tap more stuff and spend more time See, it's just it's just like automation, right? You've reduced the friction to do something, yep. and then you are more likely to take advantage of it. So yeah, I am very pleased with Todoist overall. It, like with anything, like I'm critical of it because I really like it, so I want it to be better. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have any complaints, that's more of an issue, I think. Right? Like, I, mean, I, I want to have complaints about the thing because it means I'm pushing it. It means I'm using it right, mm-hmm. rather than just being like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Like I don't have any feelings for it in that way, but I have feelings for this application because I think it's very good at a lot of the stuff that it does. But it has work to go. But I am 100% sold. I'm not moving back to OmniFocus. Like, this mm. is my system. I have absolutely no desire to move back. I am completely sold on this because the things this app does better mm-hmm. are so much better. Mm. And the things that it doesn't do as well are maybe not as bad as I initially thought that they would be. Hmm. It's interesting. It's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting verdict. No more OmniFocus for Mike. No, not uh, and I as I said, I really I don't know what it would take for me to move back. Like I just don't think it's going to be on my horizon. Like OmniFocus mm. is a better iOS application than Todoist. Oh, Hands yeah. down. That the apps are amazing. Like on the Mac, it's just a web app, <laughs> a little wrapper. Or like it's even more like funny than how it is on iOS, where it's it's still an iOS application, as you say, but like it's it's not completely native. Right? Yeah. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel native because they're trying to unify this experience. But on the, on the Mac, it's just like this is just like a straight up web app. But I just love all of the bits around it. All of the stuff mm. that makes the application work is so interesting to me because there's so many things happening in the background. Um, I'm, I'm just really, I'm kind of just smitten about all of that, honestly. Like, I think that it is a much better system for Mike of 2017 than mm-hmm. anything else is. Yeah, it's it's been very interesting just to play around with this. Like, I have a hard time imagining using Todoist as my primary system. But I've I've just been very interested to play around with it and to be using it as the communication device between my assistant and I, where we're we're tracking what's going on. Is it right? just because there's not enough tinkering available? It's a hard app to be particular with. It's yeah, it's a difficult app to be particular with. Uh, they they do have filters, which are these ways of of pre-searching through a bunch of tasks, which are are comparable to OmniFocus. Uh, but I, I would say they are much less powerful than I first thought uh, because there's some weird limitations on combining certain kinds of queries uh, that, that make it a little bit hard to use. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is difficult to be particular with. But I, I really do find myself just just interesting and thinking about this this whole concept of apps that are really web services with apis and it is also a thing in in thinking about the future there there may be some kind of 
thing that I could do where you don't even really have to interact with an app so directly mm-hmm. because you're able to write little things that interact with it indirectly in exactly the way that you want to every time. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't predict that I'm going to go to Todoist as my primary application in the future. But I do have to say, as as this um, trial between my assistant and I, like it, it has been very successful, uh, and it's it's a really great tool to be using between the two of us. So I think it definitely has a place in my life going forward, but perhaps not the primary place. Right. But who knows? We'll see. Like I. Web APIs may be one of those features that over time just becomes so increasingly valuable that it dwarfs all other considerations. Yeah, I've got to say, like, if I was going to put money on this, I would put money that you end up in Todoist. Because if web APIs are becoming that more of an important tool for you, you will just get more and more annoyed that your mm-hmm. app, that your that your GTE application, your your task manager, your what I think of for me, and I think the same for you, the center of all of my work mm-hmm. has no hooks, and really, from what I've seen, Todoist is the one in this area. So it would it would surprise me, you know, like you, you may end up building like a weird system that uses these web APIs to mock all of these due dates and start dates and stuff for you. <laughs> right, well, yeah, right? That's, of course, like that's exactly what I start thinking of. It's like, well, but, but if, you, if you can, maybe there's a way to automate. I bet you could. And that might be an interesting way to deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. Like you just, you just enter a task into somewhere and it will appear in Todoist at some point in the future. Right. Uh, but I, I would be surprised Honestly, like if in a year you're used to using something else. Because if, if, if this automation stuff is becoming as important to you as I think it is, it would be it would be surprising for me if you then just let your to-do app not worry about that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'll be interested to find out what Future Me does. At least in the time that I have spent so far, I, I have consistently noticed that I have conflicting needs and requirements for high level and low level looking at tasks. There's something there that I haven't quite settled on that I don't quite have requirements for yet. There's something brewing. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But Todoist definitely has a place in my life. We'll just see how, how primary it, it becomes or doesn't in the future. Thank you to FreshBooks for supporting this week's episode of Cortex. Life as a freelancer can be challenging, but our friends over at FreshBooks believe the rewards are worth it, and they try and build tools that make this challenging life easier. You know, you could be racing to wrap up free projects whilst also trying to remember to track the time on them because you're also working on building out a new productivity system, also whilst trying to tackle that mountain of paperwork. And the working world is different now. The growth of the internet means that there's more opportunities for everyone to be self-employed. That is why FreshBooks has worked tirelessly on an all-new version of the cloud accounting software that is tailored for those of us that work online but, and also helps us deal with all of those huge long lists of tasks that we have every day. You'll be more productive and more organized whilst also being paid quickly. FreshBooks customers get paid up to four days faster on average and it's so simple and so easy to get your invoices sent out there. You'll have online payments set up in just a couple of clicks and you 
your invoices will be built in their WYSIWYG interface, you'll see them exactly how your client's going to see them too. No more guessing games involved in your invoices because with FreshBooks, you'll be able to see when your client has seen your invoice and you'll have a full track of everything that's been going on with it. Every time you log into FreshBooks, you get notifications to update you on what's changed and what needs your attention. FreshBooks has been designed with the age-old question in mind of how is my business doing? No more guessing games of what's owed or overdue. They let you know exactly and clearly. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial of unrestricted free use for listeners of this show. Go to freshbooks.com slash cortex and in the how you heard about us section, just type in the word cortex so they know that you came to them from this show. Thank you to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. One of the things that happened because of our doubling up of episodes was that between those episodes and now, we put up the application to hire an administrative assistant at Relay FM, which is something we've been talking about for a while. And I wanted to talk about it on the show, but I also wanted to get it done. And I figured maybe we'd keep the application open until the show, until we recorded a new episode. Mm-hmm. Then we got over 100 responses. <laughs> so I, we decided to shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. You Too need many. an assistant to help you get through all of those applications. Oh, I felt it. Um, <laughs> I did put the I did put it in the show notes for last week's episode, and mm-hmm. I know that a bunch of people found it because of that, because of the applications increasing after the episode went out. So we did that, but um, I felt like a hundred over a hundred applications was enough. That that seems like enough yeah. to get started at the very least. Yeah, and if it isn't, well, we can just do it all over again. But we had the application up for about a week or so. Um, and again, just as like a refresher, this person will be working with, with me primarily to help me with some of the administrative stuff that goes around the business side of Relay FM, you know? So working with companies and helping me like with booking in stuff into systems and things like that. So, so kind of helping me and assisting me so I can focus on some other stuff. We made a really good decision when we put up this application to create a standalone email address for this. Yeah, that's probably a good decision. Because then I signed into this email address in a separate application that wasn't my email app. Mm -hmm. So then I didn't have to see all these emails coming in. And that meant I could just kind of go and read them in chunks of time, you know, as opposed to like them coming in constantly. A uh, hundred emails, I really would have felt that, you know, <laughs> I, I really would have felt that increase over the week. And then definitely things would have gotten lost in my email inbox if, if they were coming in just through the regular email addresses that we use. So that ended up being a good thing. And kind of maybe over like three or four sessions, I uh, went through all of them, went through all of the applications, real walls of text like that gets, it's tough because I feel like you kind of have to pay attention right like you really have to pay attention to all of them yeah like you are in a much more difficult position here hiring the assistant than i was in hiring the animator yeah because with hiring the animator i'm asking for a demonstration <laughs> yeah. of your skill mhm i think with with any kind of job hiring like th- that's actually what you one, I, was, I, was, I was reading. I was actually reading some article about hiring, where they were proposing this, this radical idea that if if the job you're trying to hire for has an actual skill, like have have the person do some demonstration of the skill, and it's like, yeah, of course. Like if you do that, like th- that's that's what you want to do. Like that's that makes things a thousand times easier. Uh, but I do not envy you in this position because 
most jobs, there is no way that the person can really demonstrate their skill in a meaningful way ahead of time. Right? Like you can't have this person demonstrate their ability to be an assistant for relay before they are the assistant for relay. There was one thing that we did. I won't say what it was, but there was a requirement in the application mm-hmm. that was not very overt, but it was there. And the people that didn't do that thing, well, I was able to skip over them. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just a first pass filter for yeah, detail, no, detail noticing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, all, we've all done things like that, right? Where there's a, is this person paying attention filter, yeah. right? And it, it matters. That's going to be kind of important as time right. goes on, right? Like... The person that is going to be assisting me needs to listen to me. <laughs> like, otherwise, this isn't going to work so well. Yeah, yeah otherwise, it's not going to work. No. But, but so I guess what I kind of want to know is being in this difficult position, not being able to have a clear demonstration of skill ahead of time, how, how, how were you assessing these applications? One good thing was I read them all, Stephen read them all. Okay. So we amassed a, a group of people mm-hmm. that we both liked and we were able to cross-reference them. So anyone that came up in both of ours, right, well, that was a good application. If they didn't, then me and him would maybe argue that person, right? Okay. So who would go to interviews. So that was one good part of it because there are some candidates where I've put a lot more thought into them uh, than others because I had to argue it. So that was an interesting part of it as we were mm-hmm. kind of discussing who should go to the interview stage. It was just... A lot of really hard and at some points mind-numbing work because Mm. there is a way to write a resume or a CV Mm -hmm. that pretty much everybody follows and because it's the way these things should be written. It's a lot of repetition. An Mm -hmm. awful lot of repetition. Mm -hmm. And for me, the ones that really stuck out was when somebody did something in the email or in the cover letter to, to that, that made them stand out. Mm-hmm. Because there were also a lot of people that were like, you know, I really love the shows that you do and stuff, and this is what I like and so I don't know, which is nice because they're showing a, that they understand it. But that also became like a thing that a lot of people were using. So there, there was just a few candidates that what they wrote grabbed me. And I can't explain why. Mm-hmm. But it was just like... I feel like I could work with this person. Like there was just a feeling in the way that they were expressing themselves, which was just something that made sense. Now, this isn't a weird notion to me because I've done this before. I've hired people in the bank job. So it's the same kind of deal, right? All resumes look the same, you know, within a margin, but they all kind of say a lot of the same kind of things. Mm-hmm. But it's the people that kind of just, they they display something about themselves in the way that they explain themselves. For me, the explanation part is what's interesting, how somebody talks about themselves. So it's so difficult, right? But like, I wasn't looking for someone who was too corporate, and I wasn't looking for someone who was being zany for the sake of being zany. Right, right. But it's somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted that person to like, in prose, give me an idea of their personality. And they were the ones that kind of were able to jump through. So that was what made it interesting, even though it is... Hard work isn't the right word, but it's like intensive work, which is very repetitive. Mm -hmm. You know? 
So it was a it was a tough process, but the people that kind of spoke out to me, especially, were the ones that were able to kind of shine in some way, in a way that cannot at all be quantified. But that's what makes it interesting. So if you could mm-hmm. quantify it, then it would be easy, right? Everyone could do it. Yeah, I mean, I would prefer that there was some way to quantify it, right? Like, like, <laughs> like it's, you know. Like it's World of Warcraft and you're logging in, you can see, oh, this this person rolled a twenty in personal administration skills. Great. Right. <laughs> that's that is actually what I prefer. Uh, but that's not the world that we live in. So how are you going to filter down then from the people that you have assessed fit the role? We're interviewing. So we have a percentage of the applicants now that we have booked in interviews for. I won't say how many there are. <laughs> I was gonna say what percentage, Mike? I wanna know. A percentage. A percentage. Um, of people. But what I will say is it's going to take us two and a half days to do this, the interviews. Oh, are you doing the full who process? The, the full how to hire someone from the who book? I'm only process? looking for A players, Gray. Yeah. <laughs> no. I just want to speak to all these people because the next part of it is how do we communicate? So, so you're doing, I presume, uh, like FaceTime interviews. That's, yeah. Is that what's occurring? Okay. Yeah. It was an interesting decision. Do we do audio or video? Mm -hmm. And I've decided to do video primarily Mm -hmm. just so I can get more of a feel for the person. Although we will probably never communicate visually. Right. So me and this person will most likely communicate 99% of the time via text. Mm -hmm. But I want to get a sense of the person. And I think the easiest way to do that is to do these over video. And I think it also gives that person the same from us. Is they get to get more of a sense of us because they can see body language, they can see how we react to things. Like It's just more expressive. And I think it's just a bit more of an interesting way to do this as opposed to like just exchanging emails back and forth or having a phone call. Yeah, it's, it's a more broadband way of communicating than a narrow yep. band way. Yep, there's less likelihood of things being misunderstood, I think. And Mm -hmm. I also, just in case this is something we do end up doing in the future, I want to establish this as the first contact, you know? Mm -hmm. Rather than, like, at some point in the future, being like, hey, can we have a video call? Because it could be weird, right? Like, if we only ever communicate. But I just want to start off, like, this is the first contact that we've had, and then we move on forward from there. I'm realizing my assistant and I have never done a video chat with each other, and it would be yep. it be it, it would be strange. I probably like, never why? ever ever <laughs> will never will. I can't see why I would want to do it, but mm-hmm. I I just want it to be this way initially. We're going to have a three person call. We may as well do it by video. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets to see the nice blue wall behind me. You know the backdrop. Oh, it's just, right. So it's going to be a mega office. Of course, it's going to be a mega office. You know. It's a serious business. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it would be any other place. Of course, of course. It's been interesting trying to work out the questions. I mean, are you are you going to ask like Google style brain teasers? How many manhole covers are there in New York City? Yeah, it's like oh, you have a bag of grain and a fox and a duck on the shore, and you're trying to cross the river, <laughs> but you can only take one thing at a time. What order do you do it? Is that what you're going to ask people? Yeah, it's just it's just brain teasers. <laughs> I really want to establish the idea that the Riddler could be working with them at any moment. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, it is purely. I've looked at like I've googled like interview questions. Mm-hmm. Right. Just to give like get like an idea like what are the standards because I think there are 
reasons why people ask similar questions. So I've I've got some of those in there. Um, and also it's just as a way to kind of like guide my thinking because there's a mm. definite practice around this. Whether it works or not, people have done it for so long, there must be some benefit to it. Because honestly, like interviews, all of this stuff is so weird because you just get these small slices of a person, but yeah. then you start working with them every day, mm-hmm. right? And then you find out who they are. But I figure I may as well try and follow at least some of the process that I've done before that I know has worked, right? Mm. Which is resumes, phone interview, right? Or resumes and a face-to-face interview, you know, that kind of thing. And, and what I expect will happen is we'll go through all of this and there will be more than one person that sticks out and then mm-hmm. we'll maybe do like a second like phone call just to go through some other little parts that may pop up. Because what I also know is the questions I ask in interview one will be different to the questions that I ask in interview X, right? Like a few interviews down the line. Mm-hmm. So there may be some like extra questions I want to ask certain people to see what they're like, you know, because it's definitely going to be an evolving process as the, as it goes over those couple of days. Like I do not expect the questions to remain exactly the same mm-hmm. because someone will say something which will spark a question, which, oh, that might have been good to ask the other person, you know. Mm-hmm. But trying to work out like how to understand if I can work well with someone based upon some questions that I'm thinking about in advance is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, this... I've never done this kind of thing, but I, I imagine you must know that the, the, the questions are a framework to get a sense of how well you can work together. Mm-hmm. Right. Is it the, the answers matter, but they matter maybe 30%. Yeah. And it's, it's more the way the person is explaining themselves. I, I'm imagining that that's probably what it's like to do, to do these kinds of things. It is. The que- it's it's like the resume. Mm-hmm. The content of the resume is not important to me. It's the way it's being presented to me. Mm-hmm. Like, how is this person describing things? So it's like all these questions. Most of the answers, they're not really that important because most people will answer these things the same mm-hmm. because they think they know what the answer should be. Mm-hmm. But it's the way in which the person explains what they're explaining is what I'm interested in. So we'll see. I don't want to talk about it too much. I want to give people tips. Right, because it could be out there, Gray. Listen, no, you, no, no, yeah, you can't, you can't give interview tips. The answer is number sixty-two. That's what you <laughs> yeah. need to tell me. That's the code. Yeah, and as as always with these things, it's also a matter of who is your competition as well, right? Uh-huh. Like that's that's what's going on. Like mm-hmm. on on my on my job interviews, that was the thing that I was most obsessed with was finding out who the other applicants were. Create like a virtual waiting room, right? You know, like you you go into a job interview and everyone's sitting there. Yeah, yeah it's like that. You know, for this application, they won't they won't have that advantage. But it's like, yeah, I remember I remember one job. I was just like, I, I I was able to see who the other applicants were, and I was like, oh, I've owned this. Like, I know I'm gonna win this because the game is about being better than these other people. It's not necessarily <laughs> about being the best. Yeah, I thought that once. Didn't get the job though. Uh, see, I did get the job. Yeah, you know how to play the game better than I do. No, you're the you're the corporate master here, Mike. So much of it is like I'm just seeing what happens because like, I don't really know what comes after these interviews, right? Like, mm-hmm. what do we do next? And then how does all of this start? And then how do me, does me and this person start working together? And when do we start working together? And what are the hours that we work together? It's all good. it's all so up in the air. But now that we're really seriously approaching this, as opposed to it just being this idea that I've had, it is interesting, genuinely exciting, 
and quite a challenge. Yeah, I have to say, I'm really glad that you've started this. Like, this is a thing that we have had private conversations about for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> like, you need to get someone yeah. to help you. But there, there is a time at which you can do it. Yeah. And it's like, the economics have to make sense. And also, for me, I needed the moment of, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is too much. If I don't get someone to help me, things won't work as well, right? Like that, for me at least, that needed to happen. I think that needs to happen for everybody, you know? Because then you also get a clearer idea of what you actually need someone to do. Yeah, it seems like nobody hires someone right at the moment when it would be best to hire that person, right? You hire retroactively. Exactly. every, Every hiring that's ever made is made at least six months later than it should have been made. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, I think that's just a natural, that's a natural part of it. <laughs> and it's like anybody who's listening to us right now, if you're even thinking, hmm, maybe I need to hire someone, it's like, yes, the answer is yes. The answer is it's too late for you. <laughs> so yeah, no one, no one, no one does it at the right time, I think. So maybe, Gray, actually, I think very strongly by the next time we talk, I will have hired an assistant. Ooh, very exciting. Good luck to the assistant if they happen to be listening. 